From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. President Biden is sidestepping Congress with an ATF universal background check rule. And New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham declared an emergency and banned concealed and open carry in Albuquerque, even though she admitted criminals would not stop carrying guns. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, firearms attorney and co-founder of Second Call Defense. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Dean. I appreciate it. So, Sean, I hear you're going on a road trip tomorrow. What kind of mischief are you getting into this time? I'm going to head to Bullfrog, Arizona. I'm going to see America, so I'm going to do it by, by ground. Not motorcycle or hitchhike. I'm actually going to drive a car, and uh, I get to see America, the I, I guess, the way that it was meant to be seen from the ground. And, and how many hours is that? 26 hours totally. Now, oh, I'm going geez. with a friend of mine. Uh, we may try to make it most of the way uh, without stopping, but we're, unfortunately, we're, we're in a Ford SUV, but it's the Escape, and it's not really big enough, I don't even think, for either of us to recline and sleep. We're kind of big guys. So we'll see what happens. We'll 20, 26. You said 26 hours. 26 hours. You know, my, my rule, my rule, Sean, is no more than five or six. Yeah, and, then and you fly, right? <laughs> you're going 20 over that. I can't, I can't stand that. My legs get sore. My back gets sore. 26 yeah. hours. That's insane. I've driven from Nevada to West Virginia, and I took four days to do it. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably the more reasonable way to do it. Uh, certainly, we're, and we're not really going to be there that long for four or five days, maybe. So if we if we try to do it the whole way, we'll be spending the first day and a half sleeping, and probably won't be right the whole way. So we'll see if we can uh, pull over in uh, the nicest Motel Six we can find. <laughs> so is this like hunting, fishing, camping? Uh, actually, it's a uh, my oldest son Jimmy's godfather was one of eight or one of 19 brothers and sisters from the same parents. So every year, all the boys, uh, all the brothers, now nephews and grandnephews get together for a, a camping trip. We used to do it in Lodi, California, in a, in a, in a farm out there. But one of them just retired from um, uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And the first thing he did was move out of California. So he invited us to his house. So that's what we're going to do. Well, that, that kind of sounds miserable to me, just the drive. I mean, being there sounds fun, but wow, 26 hours, and that's just going out, and you got to come back. Yeah, but Dean, you know what the good news is? Thanks to organizations like Buckeye Farms Association and the hard work you do, I can carry a gun all the way. How about that? Well, that's that's yeah. one positive, at least, but uh, 26 hours, that's, uh, that, that's quite a trip. Well, Dean, I, I don't want to ignore you during a trip, so what I'll do is I'll send you a picture every hour. Just to update you on where I am. So you might want to turn your notifications off at night because I, I think your significant other will, will probably uh, uh, take a little bit of umbrage of that and not want that to happen. So, Well, Sean, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of stories that have been in the news recently. Before you take off on, on this uh, long road trip, 
The first is this ATF universal background check story. We've seen that President Biden is trying to sidestep Congress with a universal background check rule through the ATF. And this is all part of that bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which is really just a pretext to regulate guns without any constitutional or congressional approval. And what it boils down to is defining or redefining what it means to be in the business of firearms as opposed to just being a collector or occasionally selling a personal firearm. Now, can you explain what all this is about? Yeah, the ATF has certain rules of, of, of ha- who needs an FFL and who doesn't need, need an FFL. Uh, so if, if you're in, in the business of selling firearms and that's part of your livelihood and that's what you do to earn a living, then, uh, then you need an FFL to conduct that, that, type, of, uh, that type of business. And then under that definition, too, if you're just enhancing collection, uh, buying and selling a firearm, you know, to your friends on occasion, just something you do. Well, you know, that was never really a problem that the, that the ATF has. In fact, we all have a right uh, to buy and sell guns to each other. Uh, and uh, as long as it's not of our, you know, our predominantly our business. And um, uh, when they changed it with a principal objective of li- livelihood and profit and inserted predominantly earn a profit, well, you know, that just opens it up to everything because obviously firearms over time, for the most part, uh, they increase in value. And so if I bought a gun 10 years ago for $150 and now it's, you know, reasonably used gun selling for $200, well, guess what? Uh, I predominantly earned a profit. And it just it opens it wide open. To, it's, just a, it's just a fast and easy way to limit the sales and eliminate the private sales of firearms, which has been protected. Uh, for as long as we've been a country. And essentially, how can you keep and bear arms now if you can't purchase an arm or you can't sell or enhance your your uh, your, your firearm collection? So it's just another backhanded way to get to, you know, the, the liberals' crown jewel, which is universal background checks. And don't forget, the only way universal background checks works is if you have gun registration. And universal registration equals uh, universal confiscation. It always does. It always has. And so they're just trying to get around it you know, the same way uh, that they've been lately trying to do everything, and that's use the rulemaking authority of the ATF. And, uh, and it's hard to stop, but if you think about what they're doing, they're, they're shutting down um, all firearm sales. And then what people may not have looked at was that the, uh, uh, they changed uh, the penalty provision. Uh, not only are they going to seize the firearms that, that, that are done properly, but uh, for your sections in here that deal with straw purchases, you're going to forfeit the firearm. You're going to be required to forfeit the automobile you use to drive to the gun store. And it, it just, it just, it's beyond what, uh, what has been normal and what we've seen as normal. But again, it's just another way. And I guess the first thing we would have looked at is the fact that it's backed and pushed by every town for gun safety. And that set, and that says enough to all of us who are aware of that everything that they do, everything they've ever proposed, any time they've ever showed up in our state house is to is to strip of our gun rights. So the way these ATF rules work is that they are proposed and they're posted for public comment before going into effect. So you can actually read the rule online. You can submit your comments to the Department of Justice, and we'll have an article about that on our website and, and a link so that you know if a listener wants to go and comment on that, they can do it. Now, I, Sean, I doubt that. 
any comments will stop the Biden administration from enacting this rule, but thoughtful comments exposing the proposal's true nature might, some people think it might embarrass the ATF a little bit into rewriting some of the worst provisions. And even if that doesn't happen, maybe when the lawsuits come, the judges will sort of be on notice that the ATF was warned of what the problems were going to be. What's your thoughts on all this? Have you commented or are you planning to comment on this rule? And what are you going to say? Well, definitely I'm going to comment on the rule. And I encourage everybody who's listening to us to comment on the rules and just bring up the, up the obvious that we have a right, you know, a God-given right to, to keep and bear arms as, as uh, has been enshrined into our, into our, our, our being uh, by the Second Amendment, the United States Constitution, which protects it. And you need to at least put that a comment so it's in the record. Uh, it's on the record forever when maybe it's going to be 30 years from now when someone says, how did this happen? Well, you look at the record. And like you said, when you have countless Americans, uh, which I expect there to be many thousands or hundreds of thousands of Americans objecting to this, uh, it, it makes a difference. Even though you have a lifetime appointment, take a look at what's being said and maybe it'll drive some common sense home but it's important to comment it's important not to give up uh, because remember they are they're getting out of bed every morning and and they're proposing something so every every time for gun safety uh decided you know what we can get around the uh the fact that we failed to institute universal background check for decades now we can use uh probably the chevron deference is what they're going to try to do like they did with the bump stocks and the arm braces and the, and the binary triggers, we'll try to do the same thing for universal background checks. And so they're they're just trying to do an end run again. Uh, and it, it, there's no there's no really length is what they'll do uh, to deprive us of, of our constitutional rights. So yes, I I, I definitely will be publishing uh, comments, and I'll probably do it more than once. So I looked, and there were maybe sixteen thousand over sixteen thousand comments so far. And this is going to be up for a, a total of 90 days. So it's going to be, what, December? And by then, you're probably right. There probably will be hundreds of thousands of comments. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll make a comment. We'll, we'll post. It's hard. I'm not giving the link right now because right. the link is really complex. So we're going to have an article on the website, and you'll be able to click through. And I think the NRA sent out an alert that gives a link so that you can go and comment. And uh, I encourage everyone listening uh, assuming that you object to this, to go and leave your comment. And don't just, you know, rant and rave and curse and all that. That's not going to do any good. Try to make a, you know, a cogent comment and, you know, complain about what this is going to, to do to you personally and what problems it's going to cause and, and why it isn't fair and why it won't work and, and so on. Well, and it's important to remember, you want to have a, a, a reasonable statement. And uh, you can cheat, so to speak, because there'll be hundreds of statements that you can look at to help form your own opinion and help educate yourself on it. And certainly, it's the words just getting out that we can comment. So I expect those those to grow. So it's, it's important to remember that uh, by say, staying quiet doesn't doesn't do anything ever. So it's important to get out there, make comments, call your friends, your relatives, and have discussions about this because it's going to end up in court. And if it ends up in a jury, who's a jury pool made up of? Well, citizens. And, and, if, and if we talk enough about it, then people are going to have uh, at least enough knowledge of what's happening and, and, and how it's been improperly done. So, Sean, let's move from one infuriating story to the next, this other one. And I'm sure you've seen that. I'm sure that everyone's seen it. Uh, New Mexico. The New Mexico governor banned 
concealed carry in Albuquerque. This happened on Friday, September 8th. So as we're recording this, it was very recent. It's New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham, Democrat, issued an emergency order banning the carry of firearms in Albuquerque for at least 30 days. Now, she's quoted as saying the ban would be lifted at the end of 30 days. <laughs> but here's the caveat. If the gun violence epidemic was over. So she added, well, I bet it's not going to be over in 30 days and that the ban would likely be modified. Now, she said she was compelled to act because of violent crime in the area. But she was also asked if she, she thought criminals were going to stop carrying guns in Albuquerque for 30 days, and she said no. So, Sean, what's the point? What What is this about? Why did she do this? Well, you know what? You never know what motivates them other than the fact that they'll try anything. And what seems to be so unreasonable right now, maybe down the road, is going to be better. Who knows? Maybe she wants to throw her head into the ring and run for president. But she has to remember, why is crime so bad? Well, because... When the liberals got involved in the court systems in New Mexico, they started to uh, to get rid of police officers. They started cutting the budget. Uh, no bond, uh, cash, no no cash bonds. People were being released. The prosecutors weren't prosecuting anymore, and so of course crime runs rampant, as we can see all over the United States. And um, and it's kind of funny from what I read is. Uh, the people sitting at the table with her, the prosecutors and the police chiefs who said, wait a minute, we can't enforce this. A lot of them didn't even know why they were there. They didn't hear about this until she first said it, you know, and, and really Governor Grissom, I have to hold it to her. She's a genius. She came up with a rather simple solution to legally get around the, the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. Uh, you know, all she did was simply state that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep arms shall not be infringed unless there's a public health emergency. So she adds that to it, and that's her justification. And that's exactly uh, uh, a reason that you don't interfere with people's constitutional rights just because there's an emergency and there's more crime. Uh, it simply uh, eliminates all law-abiding citizens from the ability to carry firearms to protect themselves, to protect their families, while at the same time assist every criminal, eliminating the possibility that anybody's going to try to stop what they're doing. It's ridiculous. And when you think about it, it's not so different, Dean, than what we've seen done over and over and over again. They just um, put a different twist on it. And, and I think you and I can probably liken that to the, the Cincinnati bump stock ban, trigger activator ban, when, when essentially they create a little bit of language and threw in our preemption statute. Said, so, you know, well, it's accessory. So they use the words accessory, and she's hanging her hat on a, uh, a public health emergency, whatever that is. I thought that was COVID. Well, so the order threatens violators with a fine of up to $5,000. So I guess if you're caught carrying legally, but, you know, under this ban, you can be fined up to $5,000. Now, apparently, and you had mentioned this, the county district attorney, along with the mayor in Albuquerque and the police chief, all said they were not going to enforce the order. In fact, the district attorney said the order is, and this is a quote, clearly unconstitutional, and said this office will continue to focus on criminals of any age that use guns in the commission of a crime. Well, good, because that's exactly what officials should be doing anyway, right? That's correct. And I know a little bit about New Mexico. I've spent some time there. I've, I've taught seminars there, and they've had a problem because they're down 
several hundred or maybe a thousand uh, uh, law enforcement officials just because nobody wants the job anymore. And they're also down firefighters. The last I knew, they were down two or three hundred uh, firefighters because people just didn't want to work there and didn't want to live there. And, and it's a sad state of affairs. It's a beautiful state. And uh, the, the vast majority of people are law-abiding uh, citizens. And now that they're, they're punished again for the act of a few criminals. Now, Sean, they actually have preemption there, just like we have in Ohio, which seems surprising given this order. Governor Grisham, you know, just just came out and said, you know, we're going to pass this because it's an emergency. But right in their constitution, it says no municipality or county shall regulate in any way an incident of the right to keep and bear arms. Now, they're one of about 42 states that have preemption, which forbids cities from regulating firearms. So, Sean, what do you think about that? I mean, they're, they're getting around preemption. They're getting around their own constitution. Well, you know, they're attempting to do that right from the beginning. But like I said before, just the fact that it, it's unconstitutional and it can't be done and protect and, and preemption is, is in place to prevent that, they can still do that. And that's why it's even more important with what Buckeye Farms has done in the state of Ohio with first preemption then preemption with teeth to make sure that we could uh, uh, collect attorney's fees from the people who violated uh, preemption. And then most importantly, we set out uh, specifically uh, aspects of the law, when and when you can't, martial law, public emergencies, when you can't stop the sale of firearms, the possession of firearms. So, uh, and I have to uh, congratulate you and pat you on the back and everybody involved with Buckeye Farms Association and everybody in our state legislature who had enough uh, foresight to think about this could happen and put some roadblocks up that I'm sure you'll talk about. So this loophole that we've been sort of mentioning here, she made the argument, uh, Governor Grisham made the argument that the law gives her the ability to declare an emergency and invoke additional power. So that's what she did. She declared that there was a public health emergency because I guess there's some violence, people being shot in Albuquerque, and then she directed the secretary of the New Mexico Department of Health to issue a public health order banning the open and concealed carry of firearms. Now, this is something a lot of people don't know, Sean. At the state and local level, governments often do have a loophole in emergencies where they can override state law. I know that they have that where I live, and I got my city to make some changes to that law. Have you looked into where you live, Sean, and do, do you have those sort of emergency powers there? Most most every county and most every area uh, throughout the state of Ohio, and I, and I assume in almost every state, can declare those emergencies. If you remember back in Katrina days, when they went door to door and seized firearm, firearms, they declared much the same emergency at that point in time and, uh, and violated and stripped the citizens of their Second Amendment rights and seized their firearms when basically uh, they were the most vulnerable they had ever been. And I know Butler County... Uh, had laws at that time at one point in time because mostly we, it was that way throughout the whole state, but those have since been changed. Uh, quite a while ago, those were changed, but luckily we've had good prosecutors in, in this part of Ohio and, and certainly uh, some strong sheriffs. But I encourage everybody who's listening to this to, uh, to ch- check into their local ordinances and see what's there. I mean, they could be old and leftover laws, and they're going to tell you, oh, we're not going to enforce that, we can't. But if they're on the books, it gives someone the opportunity to do it, just like it did in this instance. She she took that, declared an emergency, and it'd be interesting to find out what an emergency 
the definition of emergency is because you know you have have a shooting uh and that that, that allows her to enact an emergency and overstep her bounds and and interfere with people's constitutional rights and strip them i'm sure that's not what it was meant for but it's on the books she declared an emergency and uh and she went forward with that and and acting like she was doing with impunity and she didn't care what kind of constitutional right she was violating because you know that was up to her uh New Mexicans are afraid of the crowds to take their kids to school to leave a baseball game when their very right to exist is threatened. Is what she said, and so we need to we need to keep all the guns away from the good people and and let the criminals have. Them. I mean that. So uh, that's the rationale behind everything. So now we have seen this nightmare scenario happen, and how it's played out. You know, from police confiscating legally owned guns in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina which got a lot of, uh, you know, coverage in the press and the NRA stepped in and, and sued. But even during the pandemic, we saw gun stores closing, like bicycle shops being kept open, but gun stores being shut down. Government authorities have infringed Second Amendment rights under the guise of emergencies. So Buckeye Firearms Association spearheaded the creation and passage of what we've been told is the most powerful and comprehensive emergency powers legislation of its kind in the United States. In fact, and I believe we've talked about this on past podcasts, Governor DeWine signed this bill on January 3rd of this year, and the protections went into effect on April 4th. So Ohio, officially, and it's in our law, we have protections against this sort of thing. The act prevents state and local governments from infringing Second Amendment rights, plus prevents them from infringing on hunting, fishing, trapping activities during declared emergencies. So it basically closes this emergency order loophole, Sean. Well, you're exactly right. And that's what I said. It took some forethought uh, to do this properly. But And, you know, there's pushback. Why do we need this? It's already a law. We already have preemption. Well, this is exactly why we need it, because uh, loopholes like that, or whether it's a loophole or not, to have a governor, the, uh, the the highest authority essentially in the government, say, "Wait a minute, we're going to ban firearms, and not just everywhere. We're only going to pick on uh, Albuquerque and the county surrounding Albuquerque." Uh, so you know, so it's important that we have that, uh, and I, I can't imagine uh, us not having that to tell you the truth, Dean, because you know it only takes a a, a few votes and. To, to flip things from progressive to conservative to, and to, to change our rights from, from good to bad to worse. So it's important that we have those building protections. And that's why that was probably one of the most important bills uh, of recent history to protect us. This and, and this drives it home. Unfortunately, it takes things like that uh, to drive it home to people. But this can happen and it can happen anywhere. And, and I guarantee it, Dean, you're going to hear it again. Uh, I, I guess we have a COVID problem again. They're starting to wear masks. They're starting to shut certain places down. And I'm sure uh, there's going to be some jurisdictions somewhere throughout the United States that are going to try to, to interfere with their rights once again. So this law is pretty comprehensive that we passed here in Ohio, and I don't want to go into all of it, but there are some key provisions. It, for example, declares that certain deadly weapons or firearms businesses and services are life-sustaining essential 
businesses. So in other words, you're not supposed to shut those down like grocery stores. You know, these businesses need to stay open. It prohibits regulating or curtailing the lawful possession, carrying, display, sale, transportation, transfer, defensive use, or other lawful use of any firearm, ammunition, ammunition reloading equipment, or deadly weapon. It prohibits the registration of any firearm, ammunition, or deadly weapon. And it prohibits suspending or revoking a valid concealed handgun license or refusing to process an application for a license. And that would be the thing that prevents happening here, what happened out in New Mexico. And it does a lot more. Specifically, it also says that anyone adversely affected, if something like this were to happen, you can file a legal action. So you can take legal action against whatever entity would try to pass emergency laws like this. And, and it doesn't leave any room for a uh, public health emergency, too. So, I mean, that's important. Again, they're going to try any, any way to get around uh, the law. And this makes it pretty clear that you're not going to do it in Ohio. You don't have any room to do it in Ohio. And it's clear if you're going to have to resort to suing somebody, the government, whoever passes that, that the law is clear that, you, that you're going to lose, although that may not always stop it. But that's how important it was for the state of Ohio to have that language. And and I, I encourage everybody to, to take a look at that. And, and I know Buckeye Farms has a at least one article on that uh, on our website. And it's interesting if you read how we protected ourselves and uh, how we can stand ready now uh, to protect our rights. And unfortunately, we learned in Katrina, sure, we sued, but we sued too late. It was, it was over with. We didn't have our guns. And in this case, if some, somebody needed a firearm, in one of those counties, a law-abiding citizen, while that law was in place, uh, they were essentially out of luck. So this protects us, protects the citizens of Ohio, and I encourage everybody else, I know people listen to us from all 50 states, to make sure you have laws like this in place, and if not, it's time to start pushing for them. The one thing that's really hard to explain to some people is they'll think, well, you know, we have this or that law, so we're protected, we don't have to worry about it. But the reality is, there are a lot of cities, there are, there are a lot of people who have gotten elected who don't really care about what the law is. They'll go ahead and try to infringe laws, infringe rights, pass their own laws, and the only recourse is to sue. So really, when you're passing laws, all you're really doing is setting up a situation where you're able to sue and enforce the law. Because if you don't, just like with other crimes, you know, police have to enforce laws Otherwise, the laws have no meaning. We, the people, have to be able to enforce laws as well when government officials don't follow the law. And that's the surprising thing. Lawsuits and these kind of laws go together. You have to enforce them or the government just won't care. Right. It sets up a remedy for us, a remedy to cure the, the violation. And uh, what's happening more and more and should be more concerning to all of us is the fact that these elected officials will flaunt, they'll ignore existing laws, they'll ignore the Constitution of their states and the Constitution of the United States. And we have to have some way to immediately protect us against those violations because all we have are the laws. We're a country of laws, and that's what's made us so great, and it's a great experiment, was we have laws. And when, when the government itself stopped following those laws that they uh, essentially put in place and were meant to protect the, uh, uh, the democracy, that we've created, uh, when they violate that, we have to have a way to stop it. And 
you know, that's the tyranny of our government when lawlessness uh, moves into to everyday life. And that's exactly what happened in Arizona. The reaction to all of this, to Governor Grisham's emergency order, has been pretty swift. I mean, even I was surprised at how swift and from how many different directions. There are multiple lawsuits that have already been filed. Lawmakers are calling for her impeachment. Even Democrats, Sean, and some gun control advocates are saying, whoa, okay, you know, we love gun control, but even this goes too far. And a U.S. District Court judge I understand, has already issued a temporary restraining order blocking this. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether she's going to really pay a political price. We've seen Democrats do this. Republicans seem like they pay a price when they go too far, but Democrats don't always. And this is really, in my view, just political grandstanding. And it's kind of par for the course in today's culture of lawbreaking among the political class. Uh, I'm sure that many of Grisham's supporters will approve of her actions, despite knowing that they're unconstitutional and they're not going to hold up in court. But LaShawn, as an attorney, I wanted to ask you what you think the outcome of all this is going to be. Is she going to pay a price? Is is she going to suffer from a lawsuit? How is the, the legal remedy here going to play out, do you think? Well, some of the first things I heard before I even understood what was going on, you know, when you're getting uh, little bits from uh, from the old Twitterverse or, or from uh, Instagram was that they wanted her impeached. So the first thing I started hearing about was impeaching her when I before I even knew what was going on. And then almost immediately, my phone started ringing, looking for a referral attorneys in New Mexico that would file an action that Gun Owners of America had prepared. So, I mean, they were on it very quickly. Uh, and I think Nagger was even on it. They, they've been active lately. So a lot of people were involved in that immediately. And I don't think the um, uh, the sting of what she did to the people in New Mexico is going to go away. And I think certainly if anybody can be impeached, it's going to be her for violating uh, the, the New Mexico Constitution along with the United States Constitution. So I think politically uh, she will pay the price because even the, the liberals and the Democrats weren't on her side because, wait a minute, they understand that, you know, that we, we are a nation of laws. And if you don't respect the Constitution, then who are you going to respect it for? Sure, I'm I, I'm not pro-gun or I'm anti-gun, and I understand what you're doing. But you know what? What are you going to do to me next? Uh, when the next when the other person gets in 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 the governor's mansion, what's going to happen to me? So we need to enforce all these laws uh, evenly and forcefully because they protect all of us. And if we say ah that's all right, I, I don't like guns anyhow. If 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 we do that, then we've lost complete control, and there is no more authority. And the rule of law doesn't matter, and uh, we can do whatever we want. So I'm hopeful that they move forward with articles of impeachment, and that that uh, and that people don't don't forget what happened and what rights they they were basically stripped of, and what kind of danger that put those folks in. So I'm not familiar with New Mexico and its politics. What's it like out there? I mean, is that is that a blue state, a red state? Is it somewhere in the middle? How, how is this politically, you think, going to, to work out as far as, you know, future elections and whatever? You know, it's kind of a mix. I, I would say it's almost purple, but it, it there's an ebb and flow between the blue state and the red state. Uh, they had some battles and, and they passed some very strong preemption laws. They passed uh, laws, concealed carry laws, and hot, hot, hard fought battles. Uh, but they protected people's constitutional rights, uh, their concealed carry laws. And made things a lot better, but then all of a sudden you got uh, 
certain percentage of liberals in there that were anti-gun. And so they started attacking it. And the pro-gun people came out with such force that they didn't get any of their laws passed. Uh, it's probably two years ago when there's a lot going on, but you still ended up with a, a Democratic governor uh, that's very anti-gun and uh, is, is being pushed by whatever factions are in that state. But then my experience is it was rather a, a uh, conservative state and it was a, real, a rather pro-gun state. So I don't know if, if this isn't really a shift. I think we can tell it, it's uh, maybe a, a unilateral shift by her because certainly she didn't garner any support by anybody in office. And it sounds like even by her own, her own party. So I, I think it's still a pro-gun state despite, you know, the governor. So Sean, is there anything else on that story that you want to add? I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, flabbergasted that, that someone would do this. We see this happening, but usually it's a place like California, New York, where mm-hmm. there's kind of general support for it. I kind of assumed that that part of the country, as far as firearms are concerned, is fairly conservative, but, you know, they have a Democratic governor, and she was, you know, pretty comfortable coming out and doing this, pretty bold about it. What was amazing was the confidence that she stood up with and decided that essentially she was going to eliminate all law-abiding citizens from Albuquerque and the surrounding county from carrying a firearm and from possessing that firearm, and at at the same time admitting the criminals weren't going to follow the law. So, if you if you know that and acknowledge that, then what are you doing to your own people? You're sacrificing them, and you're creating an even greater public health emergency. So, uh, I wish common sense would come into play occasionally, but you know, I, I guess I hope for so much for too much. Well, Sean, we'll have to keep a, an eye on that story. Thanks for discussing all of this with us. Safe travels, and and listen, try to keep it under a hundred miles an hour. Okay, can you yeah, do yeah, that yeah. on your trip? I do have a propensity to speed a little bit, and I think in those uh, in those western states, I may I may get a few miles an hour uh, extra. But I, I'm going to do that. I uh, want to make sure I, I I'm a law-abiding citizen all the way around. You know, I'm predicting you're going to pick up about three or four speeding tickets on the way. You know, Sean, for people like you, there really should be like a frequent speeders program. Like for every one thousand dollars in fines, you get a fifty dollar gift card or something. What, what do you think about that? Idea. I kind of like that. That's actually a good idea. Or at least uh, let me pay let me pay a, a monthly fee or yearly fee, and just let me go about my business. There you go, like like speeding subscriptions. Right. You know that. You know what what a, what a tax revenue. You know people are passing recreational marijuana just past recreational speeding. I, I think you could personally fund all the highways in the country. I think probably people like me. <laughs> So, Sean, how can people get a hold of you if they want your legal expertise? I always give my cell phone out. It's on 24 hours a day. If you need me, it's 513-484-0142. I'm also co-founder and partner with Dean in Second Call Defense, www.secondcalldefense.org, where we offer 24-hour emergency protection for anybody who's forced to use any weapon in self-defense. You can also get me at Sean at secondcalldefense.org, uh, and you'll find me on the internet and Facebook everywhere. So if you need me, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to answer the phone and to help you out whenever you need it. And uh, make sure, folks, that that you, you're familiar with Buckeye Firearms website and websites in your state like that because they're going to give you all the information you need and steer you in the right direction, and they're going to keep you apprised, and most importantly, of things that are happening like this and get us ready for the next election because, folks, 
Elections have consequences. If she was never elected, that never would have happened. Well, Sean, thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, Dean, it was great talking to you. You have, you have a good weekend. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.